0: church. Good worship time. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in the worship time that we had there. If you were outside before this service waiting to come in and you were wondering what in the world's going on in there, it wasn't only a long-winded preacher. Uh, We got out late because we had uh, 14 baptisms in the first service. Yes, amen. And we're going to have a baptism along with some other things at the end of this service as well, so we better dive right in so this long-winded preacher can get it all out of his system. Just kidding. I'm excited about today's message, but in a little bit different way. We're going to be talking about something today that is, I think, not talked about very much in churches today. And uh, some of it that we're going to talk a little bit about, if you grew up primitive Baptist, you might think, oh, we've stepped back into that uh, a little bit because of the truth that is coming out. When, when you're going through uh, the, the Bible in an expository way where you're taking a book and you're walking through it, when you get to particular texts that you would typically think, well, let's just skip that one, you don't skip it. You actually read it and talk about it. And that's why we do what we do here to bring out what God's wanting us to talk a little bit about today as we kind of come into Mark chapter 1. We're still going to be there. Mark is a unique book. Um, he is a, a get-or-done kind of writer he jumps right in. In fact, uh, Jesus had already been in a great deal of ministry before Mark starts writing about his baptism and the account of what he's doing. He uses the word uh, immediately 41 times uh, in his book. And so, uh, how, it, how it comes across is your perspective of how you look at things. Like, for instance. We took a year to go through the book of Genesis. Some said you're taking way too long on that. Some said you're not taking long enough. It was just perspective of how it was coming across. It also is a perspective of what you already knew about the text and what you were learning. Let me say this. It is always a cool thing as a pastor to say something that brings a revelation to somebody's mind. Like, wow, I'd never heard that before. But that's not my number one goal. My calling as a pastor to go through the Word is to bring reminder. And today is going to be a great reminder for some things that perhaps we have forgotten to look into and lean into. And that's kind of what I'm wanting us to talk a little bit about. And we're going to kind of go through the message pretty quick. Uh, For some of you that some of this is brand new to you, we might be going too fast. For some of you that it's not brand new to you, you might be going too slow. It's like the snail that was riding on the back of the turtle. You know what the snail yelled? Whee! (laughs) Just depends on perspective, right? Okay, sorry. Um, So it it depends on how you approach things, and Mark approaches it in a quicker way. When Kimberly and I moved out to Fort Worth, Texas, we went into the local bank, and we decided to set up a bank account, and so we went in, and we were in and out of there, and and Kimberly, you can help me on this, I want to say it was like 20, 30 minutes, tops. We were in and out of of the bank, and it was just like, we went out, we were like, wow, that was fast, it was a whirlwind. Um, What all did we just sign, you know? (laughs) Um, But when we came back to North Carolina and set up our bank account, we were in there for two hours. And it wasn't because they were not good at what they did It was because they wanted to talk about uh, What it's like to live in the country, why you should have a dog And uh, wanted to hear about our family, why we're moving to the area, you know And then like 30 minutes in, they're like, why are you here? To have a bank account. Oh, yeah, let's get to that So it's all in perspective of how you're moving through it And Mark hits it really quick Because he's writing to the Roman lifestyle that was always moving The Romans were always busy doing something. They were always trying to create something new or build something. They were always trying to innovate and move forward. And he knows this when he's writing in his book to them. And so he is hitting it quick. And he has already established in the first part of chapter 1 that the new king is on the scene. The new king has been announced by a forerunner, which is prophecy from old. The new king has been given authority by God himself, and he has already called four people to himself. And that's where we're jumping in the text today uh, in uh, verse 21. And when it says, and they went to Capernaum, the they is Jesus and the four disciples he just called to himself. Capernaum is an interesting uh, name. It doesn't have very many ties in Scripture as why it got its name. But uh, Kephar means village and Nahum is uh, Nahum, like the prophet Nahum. So it's the village of Nahum. There's nowhere else in scripture that says why it got that name, but we do know that there were synagogues there. They probably talked about Old Testament ways and it got a name of Capernaum. Capernaum is at the very top of the Sea of Galilee. So if you're looking at the map, you see the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee is at the top of that, and at the very top of that is Capernaum. It's a neat place because it was a crossroads during that day. It was under Roman rule. There would have been an outpost uh, for the Roman uh, Empire there. All the Roman world was kind of broken up into different patriarchs and different people were put over that. And so uh, there was a guy named Herod that was over Capernaum at the time. And uh, he. this would have been Jesus' base uh, place to kind of come in and out of. He called this kind of his base point. For when he was doing his Galilean ministry. So, when Jesus was working in Galilee, he was always coming back in to Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum was a crossroads. It was the road that you would stop there, Midway Point, going from Egypt to the sea. Uh, there was a lot of trade going on there. There was a lot of happening going on and a lot of Jewish influence in the culture, but it was just a religious only Jewish influence, if that makes sense to you. Do you kind of follow with that? That it was only religion and tradition that influenced it. And it's going to talk about a synagogue in just a moment. Synagogue doesn't always equal um, big temple building. Synagogue just means, the word synagogue means assembly place and worship place. It means both of those things. So the synagogue could have been uh, a courtyard. It could have been a building. It could have been somebody's backyard where they always came to. But uh, Jesus would have known where the synagogue was and he would have known on the Sabbath where to go and you see in here in just a moment that Mark says immediately he went there. So what he's saying is is that when he woke up on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. He didn't say, "Oh, well, what am I doing today? Is it convenient? Is it raining outside?" Yeah, I think I, I, it wasn't any of that. He immediately went to the synagogue. That's why we promote in Jesus' design and his uh, being a mentor to us, his model that he did, we promote that if you're leaving our church for whatever reason, maybe works moving you away or maybe you're going to college, whatever it may be, we strongly encourage you the first Sunday in your new place, you attend a church You've got to get plugged in quickly because we, by nature, tend to back burner church attendance, right? Some, some mornings you wake up and you think, gosh, you know, I wake up at 6 a.m. every day of the week, and then Sunday comes around, the alarm goes off at 8, and I'm thinking, that's the only morning, I'm just going to stay here. Don't, can we get a testimony? How many of you have thought that before? Okay. All of those people who are really religious said, I have never thought that I was not relieved when the pandemic closed. I'm just kidding. I won't go there. It's another whole thing. I'm opening up a can of worms there. Focus, focus, focus. All right. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. I'm just going to stop there for just a moment and say, Could you imagine sitting under the teaching of Jesus Christ? Can we just bask in that thought process for just a moment? To be sitting there, you're just doing synagogue like you normally do, and then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the man himself, walks in and says, I'm here to teach you. I I, I would be like, take the rest of the day, maybe. I would like to say that I was like that. Maybe in my walk now that's the way I feel. Probably early on I would have been like, Uh, no, I wouldn't have done that. It's Jesus Then in verse 22, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I know, Mark, what he's saying there, but the first time I read that, I thought, I just pulled the sarcasm right out of that. It's like, Jesus taught with one as authority, not like these old scribes. You know, that was just kind of like a slap thing. Really what he's saying here is this. The scribes in that day, when they talked, they would always say, you have read this. Or they would say, rabbi such and such has said this. And they would always allude to someone else and kind of pull that in and kind of like decipher it. But Jesus came in because he was the word. He is the word that became flesh. He was the truth. He just came in and started saying, here's the truth. He began to speak on his own and saying, they were like, instead of going, he's not teaching like the scribes do is this plagiarism? What is he doing? You know, they're asking this question about how can he teach with his authority and they're kind of wondering about this. And then verse 23 says, and immediately, and when Mark uses this word immediately here, it means at the same time. At the same time that Jesus was in the synagogue teaching the religious people with authority the truth that he was saying, at the same time, there was in their synagogue a man With an unclean spirit. I'm just gonna pause there for a moment and just kind of throw this out there, kind of like a lob for you to marinate on for the rest of this week. There was in the presence of the religious people someone who had an unclean spirit. And we're going to talk a little bit about why we don't hear and talk about these things today like we hear about in the New Testament. Seems like it's a mute point now. It's not because the unclean spirits have suddenly disappeared off the face of the earth. It's because we don't call them out anymore but there was in the midst of the people someone who had an unclean spirit that's the way that mark is saying it that's the way we interpret it but you'll see here in just a moment he was possessed he was demon possessed we're just going to say that out there because we're going to call it what it is then you move on he says and he cried out what have you to do with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god but Jesus rebuked him saying, "Be silent." Why would Jesus say, "Be silent?" Well, we're going to cover this in just a moment. One of the biggest reasons is is because the first people, or the first beings, I guess I should say, to actually acknowledge who Jesus really is are the demons, and Jesus is kind of in a way saying, "Shut your mouth. Until we get this right over here, you have no place to talk. You need to stop. You see that, right? Christ has the authority to tell the demons to shut up. I'm going to let that kind of sit there for a moment because the stuff we're going to talk about in just a few moments is probably going to be outside the realm of what you normally think about. So he said, be silent and come out of him. Right? How many of you, if you saw that firsthand, would immediately go tell someone else? Anybody? Or be like, no, I'm not telling anybody that. They'll think I'm crazy. No, apparently, the unclean spirits and the demon-possessed people were well-known back in that day. And you could tell that they had been gripped by the unclean spirit. Um, But apparently, this one had become kind of incognito, kind of like camouflage, flying under the radar, and was a part of the worship in the synagogue. And then Jesus comes in and they kind of called themselves out. You can find this same account if you want to see it from a different angle in Luke chapter 4 verses 31 through 37. So if you wanted to go read this same account this week in Luke, you can kind of see how Luke tells this uh, thing that happened. Mark has already recorded, by the way, we talked about it last week, in verses 12 and 13 that Jesus had authority over Satan. Satan came to Jesus and tempted him in the wilderness, and Jesus said, no. He just was able to push that back, and he's, he's kind of demonstrated that he's already had authority over that. But here you're seeing that Jesus not only has authority over that, he has authority over the unclean spirits that are trying to take over and confuse the world with their way of doing things. There will be more to talk about in this chapter when things happen, the rest of Mark. And when we get to the book of Ephesians, whenever God calls us into that, we're going to do a lot of talking about the spiritual warfare and what Paul uh, says about the influence of spiritual warfare. Let me just go ahead and pause for a moment and say, I do not believe that, as scripturally, that I have dug into, don't just come and tell me you think I'm wrong. You come and show me how I'm wrong, okay? But I'm willing to talk about this. But as a believer in Christ, one who has the Spirit dwelling in them, you cannot be possessed by a demon. So I want to put that fear out of people's minds. You cannot be possessed if you've given your life to Christ because the Spirit of God is indwelling you, okay? There's a whole other topic that we can take down a different path to talk about all of that, but I just wanted to get that kind of cleared out in the air. However, the demon activity... The spiritual warfare, we call it, to kind of soften it a little bit, the spiritual warfare that we have in our culture around us can influence. And that's where we need to be putting on our armor every day. Paul was not just saying, oh, be a brave little soldier. He was saying, put on your armor. He was using something that was right in front of his face saying, this is the illustration, put on your armor. We are at war. Now, we serve in a victorious army, but we need to understand that we can be influenced in a negative way along the battle that we're fighting, and we need to be aware of that. So, what's well, something that's very interesting about this text is this to me. Because I had just said that if I had, if I had witnessed Jesus do this, I would have one been like this Jesus is amazing but I would have been going and telling people you got to come see this Jesus maybe he'll do it again sometime you know he would have he would have turned into that for me but there's a huge difference between the response of the demons when Jesus comes into their presence and the response of the people I don't know if you picked that up as we were reading through it his authority amazed the people and you see this in verse 22 and verse 27 But on the other hand, the demons were terrified. Well, why were the demons terrified? Number one, they knew who he was. Without a doubt, the demons knew who Jesus was. Number two, they were already stuck. They had made their decision, and demons cannot give in to salvation. So they're saying, what is your dealing with us? Well, what are you doing, Jesus? Why, why are you here? And it kind of jumps out at me as interesting that the people wondered about who Jesus was. And the demons panicked. That's two different, total different responses when Jesus walked into the presence. You can rest assured that demons still panic to this day, even at the very mention of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But my question for us is do we still wonder about this Jesus? Do we still question about his authority and his power? And here's how we mask it. Don't don't get this wrong. Here's how we mask it. Well, I know Jesus has the authority to do these things, and I know he has the power to do these things, but maybe he's just chosen not for me because of A, B, C through Z. Do you realize that that B, maybe he's not going to do it for me because of that A through Z is a lack of faith. You say, well... That's kind of a weird toss-up there because are you saying that if I have enough faith, I can make Jesus do what I want? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is that if you believe that Jesus is authoritative and that he has the power to be over every dominion of the world, above the world, below the world, and all authority has been given to him, if you believe that, that even in the midst of what looks like failure is the victory that as a believer in Christ, we are to proclaim not, well, Jesus has the power, but for some reason, he's just not nodding in my direction. No, Jesus has the power, and I'm victorious in him regardless of what yuck comes my way. That's, that's a different, it seems like a small little nuance, but that's a different way of looking at the problems we're having in life. And Jesus definitely has the authority. So my question is, are you wandering about Jesus, Are you just amazed at this man named Jesus, but you haven't leaned into his power and his authority? Because here's where we get a little bit confused. We think that if we lean into the power of Jesus, then we somehow can manipulate that power and make it do what we want it to do, which circles back around. We're making it about us all again. You see, Jesus is authoritative with or without me. But do I realize that and step into it and walk in that victory, regardless of what mud is slung at me? So the demon here in verse 24 is one demon who is apparently speaking for either all the demons that were in this particular individual or all demons in general. We're not really sure. You can look at, you can read this account in Luke, and you can kind of see what's going on, and kind of pull up some different uh, points of view. But listen to what he says in verse twenty-four: "What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." They knew who he was. And then you see it again. We'll get there in a, in a couple of weeks in Mark chapter 3, verse 11. It says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. In fact, the first half of the gospel of Mark... The only beings that proclaim who Jesus is are the demons. It's not until Mark chapter 8 where Peter is point blank asked, who do you say that I am, that people show they're starting to get it. In Mark 8, 29, he says, and he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. That's a huge Statement, let me just say this if you are in the middle of something that you can't put your finger on why it's happening You can't put your finger on what the solution is you can at the very least say in the middle of this pain I can claim you are the Christ There's power There's power in that name We need to verbalize it out loud. We need to have conversations with him out loud We need to claim his victory in our lives out loud. We need to make, because, could you imagine, sorry, I just kind of get off on these things. Could you imagine being so close to Jesus in your walk with him that when you walked into the presence of something unclean, that unclean, whatever it was, kind of went, oh. Here's my challenge on that for me. Okay, I'm not preaching anymore. I'm talking to myself. I'm going to come down here for a second. I'm not preaching anymore. How many times I've walked into the presence of something that was uh, an evil cultural influence that didn't cower under me because my relationship with Christ wasn't where it needed to be. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for me. To think that I, I struggled with something for so long just simply because my walk with my Savior wasn't where it needed to be so that when that struggle was starting to creep up into my mind or my imagination or my thought process, I I didn't scare it away. It didn't panic. It didn't panic at the sight of me because my walk with the Lord wasn't where it needed to be. That's the challenge for me in this particular message because the reason they yelled out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, is because they couldn't help but shout out because of his holiness. They, they had no choice. They had to speak out. You say, Daniel, that's a little bit of a stretch. Okay. In our American culture world that we live in, one of two things has either happened. Either there are no demons present in the American culture... There's no demonic influence in the American culture. It's gone away because all of America are believers. Or it has figured out a way to weave underneath and stay under the radar, and it's not afraid of who we are as believers in Christ. Okay. Yeah, my toes hurt on that one. I'm going to step back for a second. Nowhere does Scripture support that the demonic influence has left the earth. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Where's that trouble come from, God? No, it comes from our own fallen, sinful nature being influenced by a demonic. A, a demonic. Thank you very much. I, the word went right out of my head. Demonic influence. See, I keep people on the front row here to kind of keep me going. It's nice. And we're influenced by it. But here's the thing. I'm gonna tell you that it's still present it is still influencing our culture and when you kind of simplify it in that way and you realize the things that are unholy in this land that we love you realize where that influence comes from. It's not just lost people acting like lost people. There's an agenda. Not just that they've creeped up, but there is a supernatural, demonic agenda that wants to usurp the authority that Jesus has been given by God in our lives. And do we stand around and wonder about this Jesus? Or do we claim in our lives who he actually is? That he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who by his own decision purchased my life with his shed blood, washing me clean so that his perfect life account is attributed to my unholy life account so that when God sees me, he sees me as holy. Not because of the greatness in me, but 100% because of who Jesus Christ is. That's who Jesus is to me. And so when the world wants to confuse me with something or tempt me with something, I can step back and go, I know what you're doing. You are leaning into my fleshly desires. You're leaning into my self-indulgent mindset. You're leaning into me thinking I can do things better in my own way. And you're enticing me to step into that. That's what temptation is, by the way. It's tempting us to step out. It's sideways energy. Half the stuff, I'm gonna be generous there, accountably speaking. Half of the stuff we do in our lives is sideways energy to the call that Christ has put on our lives. And I'm I'm there in that. I'm I'm step down here again. I'm I'm there in that. We've got to call into account what we're doing in our lives. You know, when a sinner actually comes to Christ, they have a fear too. When, when someone who's lost, they realize how they stand before God, they've not been forgiven, they realize that their sins are presently being accounted to who they are and that they deserve death, out of fear, they are drawn to Christ. Uh, the, the demons didn't have that option They didn't have that option to fall before Christ at that point and say, forgive us because we have, they they were all in, That's that's what they're doing. They were terrified because they couldn't be saved, but I want you to catch something here that's kind of a, kind of slide this underneath the rug a little bit, I think we tend to do. The amazed, dumbfounded people and the terrified demons were in the same place, separated from God. The only difference between someone who is separated from God and someone who is not separated from God is the one who's not separated from God has realized the authority of Christ and who He is and they've surrendered their all to Him. It's giving that life to Him. James 2.19 I'm reminded of in this. It says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons don't and never have had a question of who Jesus is. And then in Mark one twenty three it says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. I've already kind of leaned into it. Why would he call himself out? Why didn't he fly under the radar? Why didn't he stay hidden in the synagogue and let Jesus do his thing and move out of the way when Jesus left, come back in and do his thing? Why didn't he, why did he cry out? Well, number one is because Jesus was teaching he was teaching truth. And we're going to explain in a moment why that's important. That he was teaching truth. They couldn't help but to say something. In Colossians 1.13 it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, Hebrews 2:14, "Since, therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over of death, that is the devil." And then when he's speaking to the religious leaders there, this is this influence part that I want us to be able to catch um, in there. When he was talking to the religious leaders in John 8:44, he says, "You are of your father the devil." Ooh, I couldn't imagine hearing those words. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 John 3.8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So let's just kind of talk through this for a minute. Remember whole gospel, right? God created the heavens and the earth. He made it perfect. There was fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden. As they were walking with him, they decided on their own initiative that maybe that they could do it a little bit better. They were tempted by Satan. They were in fellowship with God, but they were tempted by Satan that there might be a higher way, a better way, a different way because God's way kind of falls short and they sinned and that was broken. The relationship, the fellowship with God that was created at the very beginning as perfect was broken because of Satan's temptation to someone who had fellowship with God decided to step in, out of fellowship with God. Right? And then from then until you and me sitting here in 2022, Jesus is claiming, I came to destroy the works of Satan from the very beginning. That's why I'm here. I've come to destroy that. What does that mean for the believer? It means for the believer that we are no longer shackled to the temptation of sin. Let me say it this way. When we're tempted in this world to do things that fall out of the realm of God's sanctification, holy process, we don't have to do it Our fleshly desires lead us down a path to choose to do it. Now, there's no one in here that's perfect, right? No one comes to the table perfect. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through believing in Christ. He came to destroy what we deserve because of our own selfish ways and sin. He came to destroy that. Satan's plan is to destroy, to devour, God's plan is to redeem a world to himself. And then in that sanctification process, we choose daily whom we'll serve. So I go back to the original question. Are we still wondering about the authority of Jesus? Or are we claiming it? Strong question we need to ask, especially depending on where you are and what... You're going through. Here's the thing. I, I'm not going to take time to unravel everything because there'll be other scripture texts in the future that we'll go through. But demons are present in religious and non-religious life. All right? No, when I say presence, that doesn't mean a demon can walk into your house, day, open the door and say, hey, what's up? I'm going to sit down and eat with you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the influence of them is all around us. All right? Um... And they are, most of the time, disguised as light. They look good. A lot of the arguments that you hear out there that, that doesn't seem quite right, like there's something a little bit off, but it seems like a good argument of, well, well why can't we do this? Or why shouldn't we do this? That's, that's uh, Satan's coming, coming to us in a little bit of, little ounce of truth with a great big lie, and he's trying to disguise it in light so we're drawn to it. We see it happening in our culture all the time. And it kind of speaks into the fact that 15 years ago, they came out with this statistics and they were saying that uh, the generation that was graduating out of high school, it was a very high percentage, they were saying were leaving the faith. It's because the culture has, has done a wonderful job. And when I say culture, I'm talking about false cultural beliefs that's outside of a biblical worldview, has done a number to make us think that something sounds just good enough that maybe that stuff I learned in the Bible is just old news. How long has this word been around? How long has it been since Christ paid the penalty of our sin on the cross? 2,000 years, and we think in 2022 that suddenly we've got this epiphany and we can know better than what Scripture says takes us all the way back to, did God actually say that, hmm, if you look at something in Scripture and you're prone to go, hmm, there's two ways you can take it. Either You want to drive down more and study what it says and learn more about what's going on because you don't quite get it, or you're being influenced by a cultural uh, demonic presence. And I'm not saying there's some demon sitting on your shoulder. I know we've had books in the past that's read that. Here's, Here's my point let me just talk about this for a second. Where do we as humans get our value? It's from God where do we as humans get our self-worth it's from God but where does the culture say that we get our value and our self-worth the clothes we wear the cars we drive a clean complexion perfect hair a well dressed suit I'm describing myself. I'm just kidding. Right? We we, we laugh about that, but have you ever thought for just a moment that potentially that thought process of self-worth and value has come from a demonic influence into the culture to usurp the authority of the value that we get from Jesus Christ himself? When you look at it that way, or let me take it back. When I look at it that way, I go, wow, in a lot of areas in my life that I have lived on this earth, I have played right into the hand of the demonic influence and believed that my self-worth was based on this, when indeed Christ has said, You have value and worth so much so that if you were the only one on the face of the earth, I would die for you. Where can you get more value than that? So you see that this presence is still there. It's still in the culture, it's still in the world, it is still out there. And we need to kind of take those things and realize I, I do not want to be a pawn of Satan. I only want to be an ambassador of the good news of Jesus Christ and so those things that don't seem to line up with who I am or those things that gnaw at me back here or those things that make me think I'm a little bit less than I need to call them out for what they are they're not of God God does not give confusion he is not in confusion he does not cause confusion if you're confused about something it's not of God So you need to call out the victory of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that. Now, I I make it sound like, you know, oh, victory in Jesus, boom, and then you have a magic wand and everything's beautiful. No, I've already told you, we've already talked about Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. But I've overcome the world. So you're going to have troubles, but in the middle of that, know you're walking with me and that you're walking victorious. So the demons, they have developed an untrue, false system of religion that is highly successful today. It was highly successful in Israel, and it, held, it, it holds people captive. People hide in the middle of false religion. They hide in the middle of things that confuses. How does Satan use it? Number one, Deception. If demons are set on deceiving by by empowering false worldviews that are infiltrating the body of Christ, that are infiltrating your family, it's deception. They hide their activity and deceive people into thinking that the spiritual world maybe doesn't exist or there's a little bit of flaw in it. This whole we're coming to the world with hate talk thing is not some kind of new idea that's out there. It's coming from deceiving the world that we don't have the truth. When we speak truth, they say it's hate. Right? There's the spiritual warfare that's going on that. Have you ever thought about that? that it's spiritual warfare? Paul says, "Put on your armor." It wasn't so you could look cool. It's because we're at war. And this spiritual warfare thing that's going on out there that we a lot of times don't call out, we just don't talk about it, we just don't mention it, is not a game. The false cultural worldview is after you and me to not just come against us, but to rob our family of the joy that Christ meant to be in your home. This spiritual warfare is out to rob our children from out from under us with an influence that we think is just kind of semi-innocent. It's all meant in fun. And I'm not saying that we should go out there and burn our TVs and all that kind of stuff. I'm saying be mindful of this. It's not a game. Christ wasn't playing when he died on the cross. And Satan sure wasn't playing when he walked into the garden that God had created and tempted Adam and Eve. We need to claim victory in Christ. We need to understand that he is seeking to deceive because that's his character. That's his nature. The next thing he does is temptation. Many of us believe that Satan and demons tempt us by putting thoughts in our heads. But I'm just going to tell you, I'm a little bit skeptical about this. And I could be wrong. Again, don't tell me I'm wrong. Come show me I'm wrong. Let's talk about it. But from looking in Scripture, there's no convincing evidence to support that Satan or demons can put thoughts in any believer's head. However, he can influence The culture around us, so that our fleshly desire and lust begins to be enticed by it. And that we can be influenced by a demonic uh, culture around us and be drawn into it. And we need to call that out for what it is. Ephesians 2, by the way, I'm just going to go there. I know the hour's getting a little bit late. Hang on, we're almost done. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, this is what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is the purchase that Christ did when he died for us that he pulled us up out of so that we were no longer slaves to that type of lifestyle. And Satan and his demons orchestrate things in the world so that the things and events around us are tempting to our flesh. Because you have Christ in your heart doesn't mean that you're no longer tempted. It just means you don't have to give into it if you don't want to. But if you're not walking with Christ in a relationship for the Spirit to be able to speak to you and say, you know, that's not right. And you be sensitive enough to lean into that and go, okay, I think the Spirit's telling me no on this. I need to take every thought captive and allow Christ to be victorious in my life. If you're not willing to do that, you can easily step into temptation. Look at Galatians 5:13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. James 3:14 and 15, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The people wondered about the authority of Jesus and the demons panicked. Can we church get in God's word and walk in the victory of Christ so much so that says to the world, we don't wonder about who Jesus is. We're very excited about who Jesus is, and we want to tell you about who Jesus is so that when we walk into something that's influencing our home in a negative way, that's coming from a demonic influence, that demonic influence cowers at the very fact that we're standing in the room. Why? Because we're powerful? No, because the victorious one who is named Jesus Christ is the all-powerful one, and we have said, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then suddenly the world goes, you know, that's not just a neat fellowship that's happening out there. That church is moving forward with, like, authority that I've never seen before. What's going on? Marriages are being mended. Students are coming to Christ that were actually walking away from Christ and and stiff-arming their family's faith. Bosses are being saved because of your influence in the office. Neighbors are coming and knocking on your door and saying, can you pray for me? Because I've seen the power in your home and I know that it means something. And then suddenly the world goes, by what authority is this happening? And then we get the privilege to say, oh, it's not us. It's Jesus. And we're walking in him. One last thing that I want to say. We tend to think that the struggles that we have in this world are either spiritual or physical. God is the God of both. Let that settle in for a moment. Because when we have something physical going on, we tend to try to lean completely into, okay, if this is a physical issue that's happening, whatever it may be, I'm going to let you and the Spirit kind of place that in your head, what it is. But if there's something physical going on, we tend to think in the spiritual warfare that it's all physical, therefore the solution is physical. And we tend to think that if we have this spiritual depression in our hearts and everything, that it's just spiritual. God is the God of both. And we need to claim victory over both when something is going on that we can't put our finger on. walk with Christ. And I'm not saying that if you are going through something and it's it's like it's scary or whatever it may be, I'm not trying to suggest, well, it's because you're not walking with Christ. Yeah, Job's friends tried that one. It's not what it is. But you need to be close enough to Christ that if it's not, then the problem begins to go away because of your relationship with Christ and you're walking with Him. And then if it stays... You're still victorious in the middle of it. That's, I think that's what Christ wants us to hear today. We are not defeated. We are victorious in Christ. Claim that over yourself, over your marriage, over your children, over your home, over your work, and understand that the value of, That you have as a human being comes from God Himself. Let's pray. Father, what a reminder that there is a side of life that we tend to gloss over. We come in and we have spiritual discussion around your word, but I believe today you wanted us to remember that this is a battle and that we are already victorious in it if we have surrendered our lives to you. Help us walk in that victory. Help us to know that your enemy has already been defeated. Help us to live in a way that celebrates the victorious life that you place in us. We might be beaten down but we're not losers. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the gift of life. And for all the homes that are represented here, be victorious this week. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.